thank you all for being here. It's such a nice, intimate crowd. Um, so thank you for, um, you know, wading through the, the rain that thankfully has stopped so that we can all be here together. Um, we thought the title, Women in Pursuit of Happiness, um, because there's this endless talk about Sheryl Sandberg and leaning in and having your all and uh, single, married, um, having babies, not having babies, homeschooled, not being homeschooled, faith-based school, um, public school, all that sort of, you know, um, conversations we're having and everything in between. And I think what makes it so fun living in Washington, D.C., is that we tend to be at the center of all of these kind of national policy debates, whether it's uh, Common Core, um, the HHS mandate, marriage and family issues. So I think it gives us a, you know, a special kind of insight into what's happening and in particular the impact on our culture. Um, and although many of these issues are being decided at the grassroots level and kind of that's where all the action is, um, I still think, you know, that at the end of the day, it sort of ends up being decided here in Washington, D.C. And, you know, these topics always seem to be relevant to people at different stages of their lives. And tonight, I'd like to, for you to meet three women who are deepening their faith through the varied circumstances of their lives, dating, marriage, single life, motherhood, and career. So our first panelist is Marie-Claire Roderick. Marie-Claire hails from Canada, and her sister is sitting right here in the front row. She's a doctoral candidate at the Institute for Psychological Sciences, also known as IPS in Arlington, Virginia. She will graduate in June 2014 and begin clinical work. Her clinical specialty is in pediatric psychology, and working with children um, has always been her passion. She's trained with the Children's National Medical Center, the National Cancer Institute, and Frontier Health Services. Marie Claire's research with NIH was recently published in the Journal of Genetic Counseling. And when Marie Claire is not busy with clinical work, she is a runner. She loves baking gluten-free treats. I do need recipes for that. Um, but her real passion involves hunting down designer deals at local thrift stores for her family and friends. Please welcome her. Thank you. All right. Our second panelist is Jessica Bulial. Bulial. Sorry. Jessica has been living in the D.C. area for 16 years. After graduating from GW in 2002, she worked as a producer for Middle East Broadcast Networks director of community relations for Guadalupe Radio Network, helping to bring Catholic Radio to D.C., and as an associate producer for the Fox News Channel. Jessica founded Good Girls in 2012 because of her need for fellowship and felt it was important to bring other like-minded women of faith together. And she's going to talk a little bit more about Good Girls tonight. She lives in Falls Church, Virginia with her husband and recently gave birth to a very cute baby boy, Joseph. I don't know how recently. <laughs> <laughs> He's not walking yet. He's not walking, so. um, and please welcome Jessica. And finally, we have Mary Rice Hassan. 
She's an attorney and fellow in Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center here in Washington, where she writes about Catholicism, gender, sexuality, and family life. She co-authored with Michelle Hill the groundbreaking report, What Catholic Women Think About Faith, Conscience, and Contraception, back in 2012. And she's working on a book exploring the views of Catholic women on faith, sexual morality, and reproduction. She writes for a variety of publications and has been interviewed by a wide range of media outlets, including CNN, MSNBC, EWTN, and BBC. Mary and her husband, Seamus, are the parents of seven children. I might also add that Mary has homeschooled um, all of her seven children at, at least one point in their educational lives. And as someone who almost homeschooled her children, I've got to tell you, it takes a lot of dedication, commitment, and uh, focus. So Mary is uh, just an amazing woman. Mary's husband, Seamus, is also the founder of the Beckett Fund, which you all may recognize as one of the main groups that has been leading the charge against the HHS mandate. And can I just say, Mary writes that She has a powerful story and message to, to share with us, as do Jessica and Mary Claire. So let's get right into it. Um, today's culture often assesses a woman's success in relation to the achievement of certain goals. Degrees, marriage. Oh, sorry, thank you for that. Um, let me say that again. Today's culture often assesses a woman's success in relation to the achievement of certain goals. Degrees, marriage, children, career advancement, a beautiful home. It's as if you are checking all of the boxes. Husband, check. Husband with a certain kind of job, check. Right neighborhood, check. Right schools, check. So let's talk about this. Are these achievements an adequate measure of a woman's happiness? And as a follow-up, what are the guideposts we can give to others about staying true to what happiness means to them? And you guys can go in any order you'd like. Um, I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah, okay. I definitely say none of those things would be the honest measure of our happiness. I think from my own experience, I've based many of, most of my happiness on those things. And once all of those things have been challenged, I've realized that they completely crumble and fall away. And I think my measure of happiness rests and the fact that I have an identity in Christ and I know that's where my love is from, that's the foundation of my life, and that's, I think that's where the ultimate source of my happiness is because I base it on the fact that, I mean, I'm a doctoral student, so I base it on the fact that I might get a prestigious internship. Well, no, I ended up in Appalachia, in a, country, in a town of 200 people like me. I, like, I love the city and high heels <laughs> and like the cosmopolitans, you know? Um, and that's not it. I based it at one point in my life on the fact that I was in a wonderful relationship and thought I would get married. But then that crumbled and I was like, gosh, okay, God, like, that's where I thought my happiness would lie, but it didn't. And then I thought it would be in my fashion and in my, like, nice high heels and designer <laughs> handbags. But then when I was in Appalachia, one of my kiddos came up to me and said, Miss Marie Claire, 
color of your coat looks like the color of a dead possum run over by a pickup truck. <laughs> like, very clearly, he put me in, in my place that my fashion in high heels and fancy coats is not where my happiness lies. And then at one point, you know, last year, I, had, I was asked to rewrite my entire doctoral dissertation. And I thought, oh, my identity doesn't lie in the fact that I can be a brilliant academic. It's, that's, I mean, that was questioned, and I was like, gosh, okay, my happiness doesn't lie in there. And then I didn't graduate last year, and I thought, okay, my happiness clearly doesn't lie in the fact that I'm going to have at one point doctor in front of my name. And then at one point I really realized that, well, maybe my identity is in Christ, and that's where the thing that I'm going to be most happy and then I was like, well, is that a consolation prize? And I was like, well, no, that's really the authentic thing. Like, that's the foundational thing. And it, that really, like, stuck home with me when last year at one point, the guy that I was dating called me and said, Marie, I'm, I'm entering the seminary. And I was like, wow. And he was like, you know, he's giving up everything. And his identity is in Christ. And here's this man that I really cared for and respected. And, and he was like, no, this is, like, Christ had a claim on my life, and I'm going there. And that's the thing that is making, is putting the most joy in his heart. And then also, when my sister let me know that she's also entering the convent, sorry, Elle, but she is. And that's, like, an, another thing. Like, she's giving up everything as well. Like, she's, like, for the church, for Christ. And that's where her happiness and her heart most soars. And so I was like, wow, like, that's really true. Like, I want that for my life. And... I don't think I'll enter the convent or, you know, but I, I know that in my life, my happiness is resting in, in Christ and not in any box that I've checked off because every time I try to check it off, like, I don't know what happens in the box, but it's just, <laughs> it's God, that's where my happiness lies, so. Thank yeah. you. And, um, and, I, and I could definitely relate to that big time, especially if something happens or, um, you know, if, I feel like if, if any moment I'm not grateful, something will happen, like. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's almost like God wants to humble me. You know, like, just once once I think, like, oh, you know, I did this, I did that, then something will happen and just be like, okay, you know, Jessica, you are where you are for a reason, and you can't you can, can't really think, like, oh, I wish I had this, I wish I had that. So um, one of the things that I, I think has really helped me is, like, is don't compare yourself. Um, especially, you know, social media, Facebook, you see, oh, this person did this, this person had a kid, this person got into this college, this person did this, this person did that, and it's like, that's not, I mean, people just put, you know, obviously on there what they want other people to see, and you don't really know what, what someone else is going through and what they're suffering and what, what they're, you know, what their intimate, their relationship with the Lord is really, really like. So I think that that's definitely, like, something to, to keep in mind is, like, to just try not to compare yourself. Um, I think just, you know, to be the best version of yourself, and, again, just don't compare yourself to other people. Um, for me, I, I think my... My comments are mainly going to be on the single years because I was I got married last January and then I I, I had a baby um, seven months ago, so I was single for probably about 12 years. Um, did not have really any successful relationships. Um, went on a lot of dates, but just complete failures. So um, <laughs> just you know you know those dating disasters. <laughs> so. Um, so I would really, I just, I think that the single time is really a special time, especially now that I have a little baby and a husband. That time is just so awesome that you can really pursue your own interests, your own um, hobbies, and really grow in your relationship with the Lord. Because now, like I don't, like I used to go to daily mass all the time, 
on lunch break at work, um, you know, just just do whatever I wanted to do. And now it's now it's like that, that's not the case at all. My my son is my boss, so <laughs> so um, so I really encourage you to just to really explore um, what you're interested in and to really grow in your relationship with the Lord. Um, you know, going to mass, the sacraments, just anything to really to grow to grow, to grow yourself spiritually. Because I value that now so much that I had such a strong foundation. I, it's just it's precious. So um, I think also knowing that God has has you where you are for a reason. And um, I try to say this is the day the Lord the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And even on the days that are really bad, I try to say that too because I know that there's always a situation like. There's always something worse that could be happening, you know, and just to be grateful for those, for all that you have and just for your health and the simple things. And I remember when I met my husband, I was actually, I got to the point where I was like, okay, Lord, I guess I'm going to be single. I guess this is where, what you want for me, but that's okay. And I just was like, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for just the simplest things. And at that point, that's when I met my husband. <laughs> You know, so I, I didn't expect it to happen like that, but that's what it did. And I was just kind of like at peace with who I was. And I think that maybe I needed all those years being single to, for God to kind of say, like, it's okay to just be me and you. And that really made me more confident and more, um, more spiritually strong in the Lord and to be able to even have a relationship because I just, I guess I just built myself up to be stronger. So then maybe I wasn't, I wasn't ready for a relationship years ago, but ne- then I was. Actually, what she didn't say, but I know she thinks this, is that happiness is really a shower without, without your baby crying. Without something That's true. Like a couple of minutes. Yeah. Yourself, right? yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is a city that thrives on metrics, on numbers, right? Everyone's got a measurable goal. No matter what your job, I'll bet you've got some benchmark that you measure or your boss measures your work by. So all of us tend to bring that into our personal lives. And we tend to measure, to judge, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to be happy. This is the happiest time of my life. Whatever time of life it might be, right? Everyone's telling you that. Whether you're my age, you know, almost an empty nester, or whether you're single and, and whatever, everyone's saying, oh, this is the time of your life. And so you measure, you judge. Am I really happy? But really what the world is telling you to do is to measure happiness by looking at pleasure. You can measure pleasure, right? How many guys you slept with? How many beers you've had, how many cupcakes you've eaten, whatever it is, okay? All those pleasures. Pleasures are consumable. You can count them, you consume them, and they're done. They don't, they don't satisfy, right? But sometimes we confuse ourselves about that. The other thing that happens in this town is success, right? We're, we're all overachievers, high achievers. We, we meet people, and what's the first question? What do you do? Which really means, how important are you? Should I continue talking to you? Right? And I know when, when I had, um, I'm a lawyer, but after I had our second child, I was staying home full time. And my husband was working in a law firm. And all of a sudden, you know, I go to the parties and, and I would just sort of test this. If I told people I was a mom at home, it was like, oh, turn away. And if I told people I was a lawyer, oh, you know, the conversation goes on. It was, it was really good. It was a, a good lesson for me that people are looking at those externals. So the question is, how are we assessing our own happiness? Are we looking at externals, or are we getting to the heart of it? What's happiness? Happiness is love. There's no substitute. Every person here is created for love. And there's only one place we're going to find that. 
and that's in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think one of the things that's very difficult for us as women is we want love. We may not know how to find it, but secretly down deep we worry, are, am I really lovable? Does someone really love me? And I think that's something that if you take nothing else from tonight, I hope you go home realizing that the Lord God loves you. He doesn't care what's in your past. He doesn't care the mistakes you've made. He wants you to turn to him and love him first because that's that love that he's going to give back to you that is there, that doesn't drop one iota when your status changes. And I can tell you from being in Washington almost 30 years, I've seen so many people go through public scandals, financial scandals, political scandals. There is nothing in this world you can hold on to. Nothing. Not even the love of another person. But the love of the Lord God who made you. And that will never diminish. So that's the first thing that I would say, you know, before we go kind of any further, there are lots of practical things I think you're going to hear tonight about how to keep balance in your life, how to um, build love, first with the Lord, but with other people in your life. But that's the takeaway. You've got to be convinced, I am loved. Psychology tells us every person's yearning for love, significance, affirmation. You got it. You are loved. And there is nothing you can do to lose that. So that's, that's the first thing. Thank you very much. Um, so to follow up on this very important point about knowing that you're loved, we're going to go into a discussion about balance. This question has a long lead. And keep in mind, we are loved, all right? Um, balance. Balance is what I call the dance that we do every day in our lives, at all stages of our lives. Finding that balance is important between work and our personal lives, and yes, making time for our faith. Um, and we've already kind of touched a little bit upon this, the fact that, you know, finding balance in a place like Washington, D.C., for overachievers may sometimes seem to be a very difficult task. And we live in an area where people work a lot. I mean, how many of you, it was an effort to be here by 6 o'clock? Right? <laughs> I mean, getting out of the office and getting here by 6 o'clock. Any other place outside of New York, D.C., Chicago, I mean, people are home having dinner at 6 o'clock. We're just kicking into high gear here at 6 o'clock. Um, even the kids are overworked here. Um, I was stunned to find out a couple years ago that this area, Washington, D.C., metropolitan area, has the highest number of children on ADHD medication. More than California, more than New York. This area has the highest number of children on ADHD medication. I just think that, again, is kind of a symptom and a, um, a sign of how overworked everyone is. And, and I think this it translates to the children. I consider it a privilege, really, to live in a city like this. Um, we are surrounded by smart, ambitious people um, doing really good, interesting work. Just look at our panel. PhD, television producer who 
founded an organization, and a lawyer with seven children. Amazing. But balance is sometimes hard to manage, and trying to achieve that balance as a woman, as a young professional woman, when we are trying to have our all, whatever our all means, um, sometimes seems um, a very difficult hill to climb. I think it's just really prioritizing. Like for me, my family, my friends, and getting to mass and having my holy hour in church, those are the most, and exercise, those are the most important things to me that go along with my school and my professional work. And, you know, every week those couple of priorities switch, I have to switch around depending on what my needs are and such, but it's really, you have to be deliberate in it. And then things that you can't compromise, for me, it's sleep and exercise and, and my prayer time. And so those are just non-negotiables. So you have to figure out what things are going to make you healthy, happy, and balanced that are non-negotiable and put those into place and be very deliberate about making sure that those things are incorporated into your life. And then some other things that are, you know, some days I can do them, some days they can't. For me, it would be going out with drinks with my friends. Like maybe that would be something that I would be doing every other week or going out to different parties or going out on dates. It was only every other week because priorities, the things that were non-negotiable in academic studies needed to be up up top. So I guess it's just figuring out what your priorities are, putting them into place, and then moving them around and trying to be as flexible as you can, giving, giving what your responsibilities are. The, the key to balance is knowing yourself and being honest with yourself. Because everyone, no one in Washington has any time, right? You don't have any time for anything. No time is a euphemism for low priority. That's all it is. So if you think about, okay, what are the things I'm always saying I'm going to get to? Ask you, challenge yourself, be honest with yourself. Is that really that important to me? Because if it's important, I need to elevate it. I need to make that time for it. So that's the first thing. You have to know yourself. You have to know your tendencies. You have to... Just be really, really honest with yourself. Um, balance is also a matter, I always, um, because I've got kids and I'm always teaching different things, you know, I think of a stool, a four-legged stool. And if one of those legs gets too long or one leg gets too short, and it seems like in the stools in our house, there's always one that's a little <laughs> off kilter. But that's, that's a sign you've got you to gotta pay attention to that, to that leg of the stool. So in our house, there are four legs of the stool, pies. It's another little image, pie, okay, a pie. Physical, are you physically in shape? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating right? Because that's the first thing. If you're not taking care of your body, you're going to be depressed, and that can bleed over into spiritual discouragement. You know, sometimes I, I did a lot of spiritual mentoring at one point in my life, and I'd have women come in who were just literally exhausted and who would say, oh, my spiritual life is dead. I'm so, you know, I can't experience God at all. I feel so distant. They were tired. As soon as they'd sit down and pray, they, you know, they practically keeled over. They needed to just refresh themselves and realize God wants you to take care of yourself. So the first leg of the stool is physical. Am I taking care of myself? And then I, intellectual or whatever your work is, for me it's, it's intellectual. Am I feeding myself? Am I growing intellectually or, or creatively, whatever your work might be? E, emotional or relationships. You are not made to be alone. And sometimes you might have a job that keeps you 
doing what you're doing in your own little cubicle, or I work at home a lot, you know, and you're at home, you have to be deliberate then about making time to tend to your emotional needs, tend to your relationships. So again, you elevate that on your agenda, on your, your Google calendar or whatever. You make that time because you need it. That's part of balance. You know, and, and oftentimes we can get self-sacrificing, whether it's for our work, for the boss or the project, or people who are involved in sort of what I consider good guy work. You know, you're trying to build the culture, do something good. You feel like there's, um, you can't let down. There's, it's, it's not right if you just sort of leave work early and, and go have a drink with a friend or, or go work out or go sleep in or whatever because there's so much work to be done. That's a temptation. You have got to keep yourself. If you're going to be the person that the Lord wants you to be, you have to be in balance. So P, physical, I, intellectual or creative, whatever your work might be, E, emotional or relationships, and then S, and it's last, but it's not the least important, spiritual. And I always find whenever things are, are sort of out of whack in my life, if I just pick out one of those, P-I-E-S, and usually I start with the spiritual and, and just sort of do a checkup. How am I doing on this? Am I getting my morning prayer time in? Am I getting to Mass? How long has it been since I've done a confession? And just check myself on those things and really double down on that. It just kind of levels the whole stool and, and balance returns. So just, just be real practical with yourself. And again, knowing, knowing your weaknesses. My weakness is I tend to just do too much to be hard-charging. So I need to make time for relationships and be more deliberate. Someone who's a little bit, you know, each of you is going to have your own different leg of the stool that tends to get out of whack. And that's something that in prayer and, and just self-knowledge, growing in self-knowledge, um, you don't get to my age without really having a good sense of your own weaknesses, I'll tell you. And if, if you haven't figured them out yourself, your kids tell you, your, your spouse tells you, and stuff, but it's good. I'm loving this. Thank you, ladies. This is great. I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as I am. Um, next question. Jessica started Good Girls. Um, some of you may, may have heard about it. Some of you may have not. But one of the reasons she started this group is to build fellowship among other Catholic women. And as women and men, we interact differently with our friends than our male counterparts. We just all communicate differently. Um, and I'm generalizing here, but friendships, girlfriends tend to be important to us. We also know that friendships change at different stages of our lives. When we're young and single, we have more leisure time to spend with our friends, hanging out with friends, volunteer work, travel, all of that fun stuff. Um, and if you're on the dating path, and hopefully along the path to marriage, our time, also our time with our friends, decrease a bit. Um, and then once you start a family, um, then our friendships take on a completely different role and dimension. So let me ask this question to our panelists. What's the importance of maintaining friendships for, for married and single women? Okay. Um, I would say for me, uh, friendship is extremely important. Um, some of my best friends are the people that know me the best and are brutally honest with me in the good times and not so good times um, are here. And I would really say as a single person in this time of your life, really cultivate 
what Aristotle calls these perfected friendships, these mm -hmm. friendships that are the truest, most deepest, authentic friendships where these women care about your character, they care about your integrity, they want you to really achieve the good in your life, so what God has for you, and really help you to become who you were made to be, as Christ wanted you to be. And by helping each other, you know, to be accountable to one another, to be honest with them when maybe they're out of line. I know I'm out of line sometimes, or I come across as maybe overly fake or too perfectionistic or whatever, but my girls know me well enough to be like, no, you're not being yourself right now, you're not free. What's going on? And if you can surround yourself with people, just a few of them, that really care about you and will be honest with you when things are great and not so great, then that's going to build wonderful skills, communication skills, intimacy, trust, how to work through a problem, how to, you know, fight, but in a, in a manner that, you know, you're not going to, you know, storm out of the room and, and not repair a friendship. It's going to help you build a lot of skills that you're going to carry to all areas of your life, and especially if you get married. I mean, that's what I hope to do. These skills that I've developed in these friendships and these experiences, these are wonderful things to take with you to other areas of your life. And for me, that would be God willing one day in marriage um, because you need to work at relationships and you have these kind of friends that support you and really help you become who you are. That's just going to be reap so many more rewards in other areas of your life and for your And for me, I'm, I, most of my friends are, are deeply spiritual as well. And I don't know if I planned it. I mean, I didn't really plan it that way. It just sort of felt that those are the people that I just ended up getting the closest to. And I just found that fellowship is just so important for me during the single years because I really, my, my friends were like my family living in D.C. I was able to vent to them about, you know, work issues, um, say, you know, pray for this, pray for that. Like I, I, had, I did like a small rosary group. Well, that's actually how I, how I met a lot of my friends um, through the Rosary Group, where we would actually get together and pray for our future husbands. I know it sounds corny, <laughs> but we did, and we all ended up, one, I think two, two girls went to the convent, and the rest of us are all married now. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we, we would just, you know, maybe like, by, like every two weeks we get together and pray a rosary, and that's also um, part of the main reason why I started this group um, called Good Girls, and basically it's a group of women um, that have fellowship with each other. We have a, a um, I have a website and a, and a page on um, uh, a Facebook, but uh, we do like service projects. We did a, um, a mentor program at GW with young girls. Um, we've, we've done all sorts of things, and it's just kind of like whatever whatever the need is, you know, whatever people want to do. That's kind of what what we do, and um, and so yeah. So if you can, you know, check it out, and we. Um, we were looking for new board members and stuff too. So I, I just felt really passionate about this fellowship at this time in my life. It really helped me to also stay motivated, knowing that there was other girls going through the same thing, like trying to live out their faith, staying chaste, you know, doing, trying to really like develop their virtues and, and you know, single and kind of struggling with the same things that I was. And just having people that were going through the same things just made me feel like, and know that I was not alone, that other, there's other women that were going through the exact same thing and that I was normal. So for me, that was just something that, and you know, especially with the dating stories and stuff, you know, like these crazy <laughs> stories are, or like, you know, putting yourself in check, like, oh, should I give this guy another chance? Am I being ridiculous? Because I get obsessive about these little things that I don't like, you know, a guy to be this way or that way, or, you know, should I give him another chance? And so they were there too for me to tell me like, no, I think you should go out again or no, or that was just a crazy story, <laughs> you know, so. 
So I think it's really important to have friends that are like-minded. You know, I, I think one of the difficult things for women in our culture is if you're a single woman, everyone is always talking about how you got to find your soulmate, right? <laughs> you got to find your soulmate. As if there's one person in the world who's going to be everything to you. And that's, that's a mistake on, on all sorts of levels when you, if you approach relationships that way. But one of the things I see among a lot of young women is they tend to prioritize things that are just sort of dating type things or situations that give them exposure to new groups of men and they neglect their female friendships. And that's a real loss because even when you get married, your, your husband, you may think, is your soulmate, but the reality is he's a man, you're a woman, <laughs> you are still going to need your female friends because there are some things a woman understands. And my husband is, is a great conversationalist. I love to talk to him and, and stuff. But, but there are things that I, I need to talk to my women friends about because they're going to instantly get it. They're going to chime in. I, I read somewhere that women relate by what's called same-same. Someone says, I'm this, and they're, yes, I'm this. Like we're always finding our commonalities. Yeah, Whereas men tend to relate a little bit more competitively. And sometimes we, and I know that's a generalization, everyone might be a little bit different, but generalizations usually have a little bit of truth. So women do the same, same thing. But a lot of times in work, we have this competitive attitude, right? We're, we're competitive about what we're doing, especially if we're working in an environment dominated by men. And so I think it's, it's especially important that we step back from that and nurture ourselves with our female friendships and avoid the tendency to be competitive because that's something I see that becomes a real obstacle in terms of building good friendships. And it's not just a single woman's problem. When you start to have kids, you'll find the moms in the park or the moms at the preschool are utterly competitive about when your kid first rolled over, when they said three <laughs> words in a row. I mean, all these things that are really just manifestations of that you know, parental competitiveness, that, that personal competitiveness. So nurture, find, find good friends. But here's, here's my tip on, on that. You might be thinking, okay, great, find friends. Where do I find friends? First, ask the Lord to provide them. Um, I remember distinctly when I, uh, I'm from a big family, and um, we moved out here, and I started staying home, and I was in a neighborhood of all working moms. I was, this was back before people were telecommuting, believe it or not, before everyone had the Internet right there on their phone. There were some of us who lived back then, and... So the, it, the flexible work things were not nearly as uh, available. So it was really actually a less hospitable time to be staying home than it, than it is now because now so much more is possible. But I was in this cul-de-sac. My family was far away, and I didn't know anyone. And I was really, really lonely. I was glad I was home, you know, with the kids. But I remember just praying and saying, Lord, I need a friend. And lo and behold, there was a woman who I, I just hadn't even factored in that she could be a friend because she was 10 years older. She was from a different country. She was of a different faith, but a very strong Christian. And it turned out she was just such a gift. When the Lord just brought us together, I forget how, you know, we ended up talking and then we just, she was just such a gift for almost 10 years in terms of mentoring me as a mom, but in faith, in spite of those differences, you know, she wouldn't have been what I would call a natural friend. You know, the people who I would say, ah, you know, I instantly have something to talk. But she was a gift. So, and, and I 
prayed and she was the answer. So my encouragement to you is, if you look at your life and you say, well, I don't have a lot of good friendships, ask the Lord to provide that. And then open your eyes to be be aware of the gifts in other people that maybe you've overlooked or, or perhaps prejudged. And then to consider about the friends that you have. Are they good friends? You know, do they help you do the right thing? Do they encourage you? Or do you have friends who are critical and competitive with you? You don't need that. That, that's not, that can be very unhealthy. So you need to look for and foster really healthy friendships. And the other thing I would say is um, be careful about opposite-sex friends, especially when you're married or in the workplace. Because even though people will say, um, oh, of course you can have platonic relationships, I can tell you, you know, this is voice of experience, there are very few situations that I've seen in the long haul that don't have some undercurrent of just sort of male-female charge to it. So you have to be careful, even if you're thinking, well, that's not a guy, you know, that married guy, I'm never going to be interested in him. Maybe you're going to be a temptation to him, right? So, so these are things just, uh, just another reason why you need to pay attention to your same-sex friendships and just really nurture those and, and make time for them. Very good point. Um, I just want to give you an example of um, my husband of 22 years, who I love to talk to him. We can't wait till we put the kids to bed so we can catch up on the day. Um, I have a little bit of drama going on with an um, with a event I'm organizing at my kid's school, and so really it's been bugging me all day. And so I mentioned to my husband last night, and I said, "Oh, did I?" He's like, "I know." He said you ladies and your drama with organizing that stuff. But when I saw Mary today, of course, I knew Mary would know, you know, what it was like, and I'm sure she's been through it. And I couldn't wait to tell I'm like, oh, Mary got this drama. And she did make me feel a whole lot better. So I can tell you, there is, um, there is comfort in your female friends um, that you know, my husband just, he just was not going to go on this path with me. He wasn't going to say good job. He, j- he didn't want to hear it. But I knew Mary, knew what I was going through, and she made me feel a whole lot better. So I'm just... Can I just share a little anecdote? You know, it, it's often said that men don't like to talk about their emotions. I remember distinctly at one point early in our marriage where my husband um, came home from work, and, and I could tell he was down. I could tell for a couple of days something had been bugging him. And he finally... You know, I said, what's going on? And he said, I'm feeling really down about such and such. And I thought, oh, good, he's going to share. And so I sort of stepped <laughs> and I said, tell me about it. And he said, I just did. <laughs> that was it. That was all he wanted to say. <laughs> I just had to laugh at myself. It was just like, oh. Too typical. You know, yes. he, that's, he didn't need any more. That's right. And I was the one who was like, okay, the details. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are the dynamics. I mean, it's just different. We need our friends. We need our female friends. Trust me. Um, so this is our, um, this is our last question. Um, we've already touched a bit um, on life in a busy city like Washington, D.C., the balance dance we do. Um, so in the midst of a city which is often dominated by power, seeking and image conscious mentality, the question always is, um, how can we pursue God's will? And um, let me add, as the mother of, of you know, two small children, um, I find myself doing this every day. It's, it's me fighting 
the mama bear fighting the cultural issues, right? How do I keep my kids protected? How do I, um, you know, how do I um, surround them with the faithful influences? Um, you know, it, it, it's the dance, you know. I moved them out of a, um, our parish school last year and moved them to another school because I thought that was a more faithful environment. So we all do our little, you know, we, we have to kind of figure out what we're going to do to remain strong in our faith and, and create that, that culture around us. Um, so let me ask the panel, how can you pursue God's will in the culture we live in? I think it go back, goes back to actually the very first question that we brought up. It's like, where does your identity lie? Really, where is it? At the foundation of everything in your life, where is it? If it's in Christ, and you're steadfast in that, and that permeates every area of your life, that's going to help you navigate all of these challenges that we're facing. And when you come to all of everything that's not grounded in that is going to crumble away. But if you're steadfast in the foundation, which is Christ, I think that's how you're going to best navigate all of the challenges. And then, you know, making time to be balanced and to make sure that all areas of your life are nurtured, but then also surrounding yourself with solid people that are going to help you to, like, stay in reality and face the challenges in a way that's, again, that's based on the foundation that you have in Christ. Um, but also not to be afraid of the world. Like, Christ came into the world, and we have to, we can't just hide. We really need to stay in front of the challenges that we have and face reality and, and bring our faith and our foundation with us out there. Because if we run away from the challenges, then we're not, we're not doing what Christ wanted us to do, which is to go out. But I think if you're strong in your foundation, you'll be able to really stay steadfast in front of all of the things that challenge us. I, and I think that Mary will probably talk um, a lot, talk very well about this. So I just wanted to add a few more points personally. Um, I I wanted to talk about just being single and then meeting my husband. I, um, I I think my advice is just to be open. Because when I met my husband, I didn't expect to meet him in that way. And I expected, you know, I'd meet him, like, at some Catholic event or, you know, that he would be, like, Catholic in every way. He would check all the boxes, you know, against this, for this, you know, everything, you know, that he would just be like absolutely like the Catholic, you know, ideal. But actually he wasn't Catholic when I met him. And I, um, we actually lived in the same um, condo. He was a neighbor and he was actually smoking cigarette outside. And I was in, in my uh, gym clothes going to get some Thai food. And I just was like, you know, you shouldn't be smoking cigarettes. <laughs> as, as, I, beginning, right? as, as I left the building, just randomly, you know, I just said something that I couldn't even believe, like I said that. And then we just started talking a conversation. He just happened. He just moved in. He got my email address. He invited me over, you know, for some chocolate milk, whatever, just to talk. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, um, so then about like a couple dates late, well, no, a couple, so we hung out like two times and then on the third time he asked me out to dinner. And then after dinner I said, look, this looks like we're starting to date. I'm really interested in dating someone Catholic. You're not Catholic, it's not gonna work. So <laughs> let's forget it. And basically, so I, I guess I had been through so many dates and I had been through like so many disappointments that I just wanted to put myself out there from day one and just be like, this is what I'm looking for. 
And if you're not it, let's just move on. <laughs> because I was just getting to the point where I didn't want to deal with any, like, is, you know, is he going to respect my chastity? Is he going to do that? I just want to tell him, I'm not going to sleep with you. This is how I feel. If, you know, you don't like it, then let's move on. <laughs> so it turned out being bold actually was in my favor. <laughs> so he said to me, well, you know, what is this whole Catholic thing? I want to know more. So I just, I started telling him more. And then it turned out he ended up converting and we ended up getting married. <laughs> so uh, it's not the way that I expected it to happen, but he was super respectful. He didn't try to sleep with me. He was just like the perfect gentleman. And so many dates, I went on so many dates with guys who said they were Catholic, but tried to sleep with me, tried to make out with me on the first date. And I was just like, I was so disappointed because I really liked the guy, but I'm like, this isn't right. I know God wants better for me. So my advice is that if they, they're on board with the morals and stuff, then that's a really good sign because the fact that he respected me was huge and, and I didn't get that from a lot of other people and then he was open and listening to me and really wanted to learn more and so respectful and I didn't get that from a lot of the other guys and I'm, I just, there's definitely someone out there um, if you're single, like there's definitely someone there and you'll know it when you meet them. Like I didn't know he was the one right away but I knew that he had good qualities so I had to give him a chance. So my advice is just to be open, you know that saying God writes straight with crooked lines because I think that's very true and I, um, you know, I had the experience to say it, and I was so convinced. I, I even told one of my friends, we were on a pilgrimage, and I said, I have to date a Catholic guy because I don't have time to teach anyone. I'm not going <laughs> to <laughs> I'm not going to teach it. So it must be like God saying, oh, that's what you had in mind. That's not what you're getting. <laughs> so, and then I, I, mean, I just wanted to end with um, this one of the verses I really like, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future that you then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> um, and, and actually I have a prayer that for those of you who are interested um, you can have that at the end. You, you don't need to read it now. Um, this is a prayer that, of St. Anthony de Padua. I'll let you read it, but um, it's particularly oriented towards those who are seeking their spouse. Um, oh, just a couple of things about discerning God's will. First, how are you going to discern God's will if you don't talk to him? <laughs> you know, how are you going to know? It's just like when people talk about, oh, I follow my conscience. All they mean is they sort of like go with their gut. And that's not the same thing as forming your conscience and really trying to see what's moral and what's not and and, and making a, a reasoned decision, the best judgment with a clear conscience, seeking advice, it's very different. In the same way, it's impossible to discern God's will if you don't ask him. And if you don't, think about the people you know really well. You can anticipate what it is they want, what they need, when you know them that well. You need to know the Lord so that you can hear him. Again, way back in the dark ages when, when uh, I was a kid, we still had radios where you had to fiddle with the dial to get it to be precisely in tune. Anyone else remember that? <laughs> you know, it wasn't just punch a, punch a budget, a but, uh, button. You should fiddle with it because every time you went, you're driving a car, every time you went over a bump in the road, the dial would get a little off. Well, our life is like that. We have a lot of bumps in the road. And so expect that your antenna, your ability to be on God's wavelength, is going to get a little off. Expect that. 
So the only question is, well, how do I get it back? How do I try to stay on God's channel, so to speak? And it's by prayer. It's by going to confession. And that's one thing that, that I thank God, you know, during difficult times in my life, the Lord kept me coming back to him, even when I felt like my faith was minuscule, just kept me coming back to confession, coming back in front of the Blessed Sacrament. But confession is extremely important. And again, another little practical analogy. You know, you drive on a trip. You're driving, driving, driving. You don't even realize till you stop to put gas in your tank how much gunk is on that windshield. Right? It's not till you start wiping it off and you say, whoa, that was really dirty. It's the same thing with our souls. We have that inclination to sin that's built into us. And what does that mean practically? No, you're not going to go rob a bank. But you're going to rationalize. You're going to allow yourself to do things that maybe you shouldn't do. Say things. Watch things. Be in certain relationships. Behave certain ways. Cheat a little bit on your timesheets. You know, whatever it might be. We're going to shade. We're going to rationalize. Because that's just our sinful nature. And so we've got to help ourselves be accountable. Go back to the source of grace. Just make a commitment. You will go to confession whether you... It's, it's interesting. Priests have told me the people who've been away from confession the longest are the ones who say, well, I don't have anything to confess. <laughs> Why? Because they're so far off the channel. They don't even realize. So stay on God's channel. Get to confession. But then build up a habit of praying. You know, and, and you might say, okay, great. Uh, how do I pray? Time, place. Make a commitment. When am I going to pray? And where am I going to be when I pray? Be really practical. If someone said, I'm going to meet you for lunch, you'd say, when and where? Same thing. If you want to build a a close relationship with the Lord so that you can, really can, discern his will for your life, you need to meet him in prayer, to read scripture, to be in his presence. So pick a time. I know when when I had little kids, I could not pray at night because literally as soon as I would sit down to pray, I would fall asleep. I just could not. I was just exhausted. But I'm a morning person. I could wake up before they were up, and I could pray. Or you can pray at lunch. Stay after Mass five minutes or make it a point. Figure out what works for you, even if it's five minutes to begin with or ten minutes. But make that commitment. I remember giving a talk once um, at a retreat at a parish, and I had said exactly this to the group. And then I came back a year later, and I didn't realize someone was in the audience. And a woman came up who had been there the first year. She came up to me and she said, now I get it. I realized I wasted a whole year because I heard you say that. And I didn't take it seriously. She said, but now, and, and I became good friends with her. And she really did. She left that second retreat committed that she was going to build a prayer life in the same way you start an exercise program, when and where, and make it happen. So that's, those are just some real practical things. You want to discern God's will, you've got to meet him in prayer. You've got to make sure you're on his channel, get to confession. And then the third thing I would say is learn about our faith. You know, I'm a terrible bowler. So I actually like taking my kids bowling because it's an excuse to use those little bumper things, <laughs> right? Then I can sail that bowling ball down and have a strike. Well, in many respects, church teaching is like that. When we're in the process of forming our our conscience and trying to figure out what's right and wrong, the bright line rules that the church gives us are like those bumpers. 
you know, the closer we become to God, the better formed our conscience. Pretty soon, you know, we'll know those. We'll internalize those. But if you feel like, well, I don't know what I should be doing or not doing, find out. Talk to people and, and pursue that. So to discern God's will, you got to talk to him. Wonderful. Thank you. We have time for, um, Emily, we do have time for some Q&A questions from the floor. Anyone? Oh, boy. I see. This is such a privilege. Uh, I guess the three men here, I mean, we're just, <laughs> <laughs> we are in heaven. <laughs> it doesn't come very often that, uh, that we get, like, insight from straight from the source. <laughs> um, if you had to tell your daughter, you know, uh, what is it that, that they should look for in a man? Because, you know, us, I don't know, four, uh, you know, we want to be good men for you all, good girls. And somehow, one way or another, you know, sometimes we don't have a clue. Uh, um, when, I was, when I was young, my mom gave me advice I've given to my daughters, that at least when it comes to a serious relationship, find someone who loves God more than he loves you, because that's what's going to make your marriage, because there isn't a marriage in the world that isn't going to go through ups and downs, and what's going to keep you loving each other is that you love God more. So that's, that's the first thing. You know, if you're fishing in the wrong pond, you're not going to find the right guy. And you bumped into him, and that was good. But, you knew, but here's the other thing. You knew who you were. Yeah. You know, you, maybe five years earlier, yeah, maybe no that way. wouldn't have been no as good a thing. So a lot depends kind of on where you are. So that's, that's the first thing, at least in terms of serious relationships. Um, second thing I'd say, realize there's, there's a strong interpersonal aspect, you know, to making a relationship work. So... For women, for men, I'd say while you're looking for the right person, work on those things that are your weaknesses. Because none of us is perfect. And you're going to bring your strengths and your weaknesses into a relationship. But why not keep trying to improve yourself, become your better self? And so that's something that I would take seriously because I, I think sometimes people say, well, you know, here I'm this great guy, hoping nobody's interested, or here I'm this, you know, this great, great woman. Well, none of us is perfect. Grow. Growth is good, and that allows God, that gives God an opportunity to bump into someone when you're on the way <laughs> to the gym, right? You know, so, so don't be complacent, I guess, is, is my point. I think it's important to tend to the human aspect because I, I've unfortunately seen over the years some couples who love God, love each other, but have very little in common mm. on an interpersonal level have faithful marriages but very difficult marriages so my advice is it doesn't have to be that way you know look for look for know yourself accept your weaknesses your strengths but try to improve yourself and and then keep an open mind because the last point i would say is i've heard a complaint from a number of single women in this town that guys sometimes count them out the guys will look at them especially if they're older 20s um, early 30s, and they'll say, I want someone who's going to have a lot of kids, so I'm not going to date someone who's 35. I want someone who is going to be a mom, so I'm not going to date someone who's a partner in a law firm or someone who's got all these hallmarks of success. And what I would caution you is, don't write them up. How do you know what's in her heart? 
you know, is she is is a woman supposed to stop and say, okay, well, I'm not going to work hard at at the path that the Lord has put in front of me because I'm waiting, waiting for Mr. Wright to show up? No, she's got to follow God's will and and build the kingdom in the way that He's put before her. So that's that's a caution I would say to you, gentlemen, is don't put women in their little just as we can't you know have our checklists that that are so inflexible that we never give someone a chance don't put women in their little boxes ah she's a career type oh she's too old oh she's too this look for the person isn't that what um, jp2 wrote so eloquently about you know see the other um see the other person look at people and, and see the person there because you want to love the person not some stats Any other questions? And there's one up here. Um, I guess this question is more for Jessica and Mary. But uh, Jessica, for being single for so long, and Mary for going into the legal profession, both times where I imagine you had a lot of family members and friends pushing you on the, well, are you ignoring the femininity side of wanting a family and having that? Did you? How did you deal with that? And also, I guess this follow-up is more of a flip side Mary, especially since you took time to stay home with your kids and homeschool, how did you deal with the flip side then of, oh, you're rejecting everything our mothers have done through the 50s, 60s, and 70s and throwing it back in their faces? What was the first part of the question? Well, how did you deal with, like, the moms and the grandmothers like I have right now, reminding me I'm the oldest woman on yeah. either side of my family not to have children? Yeah. Practically, how can women have everything? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I need a few minutes to think about it. You can go first. still be able to have all these things. You know, as I, I remember one of my kids not being able to choose what flavor ice cream he wanted because he wanted all of them. Sometimes you have to choose, and that means you're not choosing the other things for now. And I think it's the for now that we forget because there's so much pressure in our society, especially on women, have it all, don't waste your talents. You know, I've never at any point during times when I was working, uh, not working, when I was working part-time, when I was working full never felt like I was wasting my time. The question is, where am I supposed to be now? And if I'm supposed to be home, let me embrace that. And if I'm working part-time, if that's what I'm, let me embrace that. And then there's, you work out the, the balance of time. Um, because I, I think it's a recipe for unhappiness to say, I ought to, who says? I ought to be able to do it all, all the time. Nobody does that. Because I'll tell you what, you know, it's not just women who suffer this, it's men. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember when um, my husband and I were both starting out as, as young lawyers, we looked at some of these uh, senior partners who had families and kids. I remember my husband saying to me at one point, well, because we were saying we have no time for each other. And he said, well, somehow they managed to do it. Well, it turned out they were on their second wives. Okay? Or third. So, so they really didn't do it. They blew it with their first families. And then they, when they relaxed a little bit, you know, when they're senior, senior partners, because just when you make partner, you're still on the, you know, you've, you've bought in to the partnership. You're still under heavy time pressure. So it's not like it goes away. So you need balance in your life now. You need peace about the choices you're making now. 
and don't have this false sense that I have to use every talent I have all the time. You know, in college I used to draw, and we still have some of the um, freehand drawings at home, and our kids will look at them and say, Mom, you should draw. It's all the time in my life to draw. You know, I'll draw when I'm 65 and, and not doing carpools and, you know, writing. It's, it's not the time, and that's okay. So be at peace. You don't have, just because God's given you a talent, it doesn't mean you have to use every talent mm-hmm. you have right now. Ask the Lord, what's the priority? It's fluid. And I guess that's my takeaway. Life is a long time for most of us. That's right. As far as vocation, if you feel like, though, this is a caution, if you feel like you're called to the married life, then you ask God, well, is that something I should be open to now? And if it is, then don't be a a grind, work until 10 o'clock by Mm -hmm. yourself in your office at night. Because that's not honoring God's will for you either. You know, he could could drop someone through the window and say, hey, you know, it's 10.30. He could, but he's not going to, more than likely. You know, um, so, so <laughs> just, just be attentive. Yeah. If, God, if you really think God's called you to marriage at this point in your life, then, then adjust your life so that you're open, so you can, you're not foreclosing that possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you, tell me what your name is. Taylor. So Taylor, um, I am a lawyer as well, and I'm married to a lawyer, and I got married young. Um, but I didn't have my kids until we were married 12 years. So I, I did it a different way. Um, and like Mary, I, you know, I just wasn't going to put that pressure on myself because I really wanted to work. I wanted to be a lawyer. I was fortunate to have some really great jobs in Washington. But I also knew that I couldn't do these jobs if I had little babies. And I was okay with that. Um, having children was always something we wanted to do. I met my husband when I was 21, and then we got married right after law school. Um, but, um, you know, we always knew we were going to have kids. We always wanted them, but it was just a question of when, because I also was very clear that it was my life that was going to change, right? Not so much his. Um, he was worked at big law firms, um, but it was really, you know, the... the um, the responsibility was going to fall to me. I was going to be carrying the babies, the whole thing. Um, and I just think it was the best decision ever. Um, you know, my kids have grown up in the Fox Green Room. You know, they, they go to meetings with me. They go everywhere. Um, but it's been great. And it worked out. And um, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Um, I work from home. I write. I incorporate them into my life, and I think they're well-adjusted children and happy because of it, because I'm happy, and I think happy mothers um, have happy children. So I just think that's important to keep in mind. When you're happy, when your family's happy, when you're happy with your spouse, you raise happy children, and I think that's the most important thing you should keep in mind. The asterisk I would put on that, I agree with you totally, and you have a beautiful family. The asterisk I would put on that is sometimes people spin that to say that your happiness takes priority. Right. And once you're in a family, it's you, you can't just sort of isolate your happiness 
and okay, my kids will be happy if I'm happy, even if they're miserable. That's just not true. So your decision-making is different when you're an individual right. than when you're connected mm-hmm. in a family. And that's, that's something you yeah. freely choose. And that's what love is. Love is, yes. you know, giving of self. So, you know, you have to yes. be... Because if your kids aren't happy, you're not happy. You're not happy like, Exactly. Yeah, people will say to me, oh, how's everything going? And I say, my kids are happy. My husband's happy. I'm happy. As long as my family's doing fine, I'm great. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question at all? Yeah, does it? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, I just, I did like the whole committing to a certain amount of events a week, that whole thing, because I, I knew that I, I get, I've given God the opportunity, you know, if he wanted me to meet someone. And then I was able to like work hard and enjoy that and just knowing that, well, if I, didn't meet so, if I don't meet someone, then I can't get married, so I'm just going to focus everything in work, and that's okay because that's where God has you, and that's where you're working. In the work, I mean, God is using you in the workplace. He's meeting you where you are. And for my family, I, th- I mean, I think after a while they just backed off because they felt bad for me. <laughs> you know, because my sister is six years younger, and she was married way before me. And I think that, you know, they were just like, okay, she's doing her thing. Let's not irritate her. You know, that kind of thing. And, I, and it... And it you know, if people did make comments, I just, that's, I mean, I, that's also how I think I got closer to the Lord, because I just had faith in him that if I didn't meet anyone, it's not because I'm doing something wrong. I'm doing what I can, and I just haven't met the person yet. Um, often I, I talk to young women and, um, who are single, and they'll say, what should I do, Sherilyn? And I'll say, you know, are you praying? I said, now I want to tell you something. God has a full plate. I know he does. He's a, there's, there's a lot going on in this world. I said, so keep praying, but what else are you doing to get out there? You know, it's kind of hard to meet someone, literally, if you're in the office every night till 10 o'clock. And I know we all have bills to pay. Please. This is a tough economy. I get that. But it's that balance that everybody's talking about. Like Jessica said, you know, she, she made a point of getting out there one to two nights a week. And... You know, it, you can't meet someone if you're not going to mass, if you're not going out. It, you know, uh, it's all the priorities and the decisions we make in life, and um, you got to think about that. You know, and be honest. I think we've that's been mentioned a couple times. Be honest with yourself. Um, you're not you're not going to meet anyone again if all you're doing is is staying at the office every night and and um, spending a lot of time with yourself on the weekends. I know they're not. So I have a question about some a topic that I feel hasn't been brought up yet. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's more for, for the married women as well in the fact that for me, I'm, I'm curious as to in your personal experience, what your balance is in a family that prays together stays together, right? And what does that look like in a spousal relationship? Because I've heard from married women, obviously, not married, so this is their words. Um, your relationship with Christ changes once you're married. Um, I'm not sure what they meant by that, and I'm not sure if you had the similar experience. Um, but I guess what, can you give me an example of a model of like, the holiness in your family, like how you and your husband, you know, have as Christians come together and say, this is how we want to raise our children, etc. And how that, what that team looked like, that spiritual team between you and your husband. I think that's a good question. 
one of those type of things. I think part of it, some of the discussions my husband and I had when we were dating were about vision. What was our vision for family life? And he came from radically different backgrounds. He was an only child. I was one of ten. You know, so he always says he recruited experience. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but we really had to talk through, you know, what, what do we want our family to look like? And there were things about his family we liked, things about mine we liked, things we didn't from either one. And then there are things we've started out doing that have just changed as the kids have um, gotten older or, or we've got different situations. But by and large, we try to have some sort of morning prayer together. Uh, when we were homeschooling, it was lengthier. And you know, if he was not going into the office till later, he'd play the guitar, we'd do music. And, you know, I mean, now I'm driving the kids to school. We say the morning offering in the car, and one of them reads the gospel. It's not ideal but it still brings us together. The point is, that habit, we don't start the day until, you know, we give God his due. And the same thing with night prayer. Those are the two things that have just been constants for 30 years of marriage. We pray together in the morning, we pray together at night, and meals, I guess, too. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess figure out what are your, what are your um, bookends. For us, it was bookends. What are, what are the things, the must-haves, that you think go into building a Catholic culture in your family. And then be open to it looking different. You know, my husband, his background was more in the charismatic renewal, mine was not. And so there were a lot of, we had some conflicts over things, you know, but it was okay because I think we both grew through that. We both learned there's no, as long as you're within the church, there's no right or wrong way. If you like a Latin mass, fine, go to a Latin mass. If you like the guitar mass, go to a guitar mass. It doesn't, there's no right or wrong there. So I think those are, those are things of taste and, and style, but have the commitment to pray together at certain times um, and praying for intercessory prayer is a, a huge way to pull yourselves together, especially if you're, you marry someone who's maybe not. My husband was a good prayer before we got married, but you know, he had a strong prayer life on his own. But if you marry someone who's kind of not there yet, the easiest type of prayer for anyone to do is praying for someone. You know, who should we pray for? Give your intentions. Say an Our Father together. Or read a, read the Gospel of the day. And then just share what you brought out of it. and then Or, or what you saw, what he saw. And then say a prayer together. Live very simple things. and But having that vision, we are going to have Catholic family, we are going to pray together. And then there's a longer, a bigger question when you start raising kids. How do we build a Catholic family culture? That's a much bigger mm -hmm. thing. But the first thing is to just establish those patterns. Even if you feel awkward, say, oh, I feel awkward. Never prayed out loud with someone. You know, whatever it might be. But you're, you're growing together. The important thing is God will bless that. I think we have two more questions, and there's one back there, too. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, I'm a sophomore in college, and there seems to be this huge mentality that, that it's kind of doomsday if you don't, you're not dating someone when you graduate, and there's a lot of anxiety around it, and a lot of just analyzing your relationships with the opposite sex and constantly checking the relationship, you know, am I being emotionally chased and all that stuff. 
what kind of advice could you give to us college students who are just, yeah, it's chaotic sometimes. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I think that you need to um, just tr trust in God that it's not your time yet and use that time. Because, like I said, the single years were just like a precious time for me to really grow in myself. And I wasn't ready for a relationship then. So, I, like, if I would have met my husband earlier, I probably wouldn't have thought he was a match. So I really had to grow a lot, spiritually and emotionally, to be ready for him. So maybe he's, it's not your timing yet. Or, like, a priest, a priest has told me, too, like, maybe God's getting your husband ready to meet you. It's just not the right timing yet. So one thing that also really helped me was to just pray for my husband. You know, my future husband, like just say some prayers at night, like, you know, for my future husband, and just knowing that he's out there and that we will meet one day. And don't let the pressure get to you, because maybe those relationships won't work out, or you don't know what their situation is. Yeah. yeah, I would say definitely in college, when I think back to my experience when I was in college, of course, like, you always need to go to the bar on the weekend and hook up with people. You always need to go, to, you know, you, there's always something to do, and it always involves partying and drinking with guys and things like that. When I realized that, I was like, man, that's maybe not the best thing for me. And I think during that time in college, the things that were most helpful for me was establishing, again, solid friends when I was in college, like women that are going to support me and help me to become more free and more myself. So when that, prop, when that solid relationship comes up, that I can really give myself freely in that and I can grow, as Mary was saying, like really, you know, working on your human weaknesses and fostering your strengths, but also taking a look at yourself seriously like, okay, what do I got to work on like where are my problem areas or where are my weaknesses and really focus on that and not to come to the pressures of you know the light the hookup lifestyle on campus or something that's unhealthy just surround yourself with good people get your you know your sleep your exercise your <laughs> prayer you know all of the things that you're talking about with the stool but really know that that just, just yeah, surround yourself with good people mm -hmm. and and try to do as many humanly things as possible as you can to make yourself more free and more open to the, the man that God can put in your life. That would be the one for you. We had a question over here in the corner. Is the single life a vocation? And if it's um, a transitional period of growth where you are discerning or growing to your vocation, um, how do you find peace in, in that transitional period? Good question. Um, I, I mean, I discerned. I discerned the religious life. Um, I just didn't know where I was called, and it took me a while. But I very quick, after I checked out a few religious orders, I quickly knew it wasn't for me. Um, I think again, just knowing that God, just trusting in God, and and you're you're a young girl and you have time. You know, religious orders. You, you can still get into religious orders or be married. So I would just I would really enjoy the time that you have and just use this time as a, as a growing experience and, and trust in God. Mm -hmm. yeah, look at your experiences. Like, I know I was like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to get married? Am I supposed to enter a religious order? And, and then, uh, actually, my sister was telling me, she's like, no, Marie. She's like, look at the things that are happening in your life. And in my relationships, especially the guys that I've dated or longer periods where I've considered marriage, like, you become more free, more yourself, and, like, more the person that Christ is supposed to be. And so you don't have to go outside yourself and, and try to come up with some idea of what you're supposed to be. But in this period, look at the things that have put, been put in your life and, like, follow those things because those are probably the things that are going to 
leads you to exactly where God needs you to be. You don't have to go outside of yourself to find, like, look in your everyday life and look in reality and look at your experiences. And those are probably the things that need to be more free during this transition. And I remember a priest, when I was just starting, told me, like, where are you happiest? You know, like, what do you mm-hmm. like doing? Just because, like, like Mary said, God wants you to be happy. So if you, you know, uh, visit religious orders and you're happy there, then pursue that. If, you, if you're, you know, mm-hmm. dating someone and you like them, then pursue that. Mm-hmm. Do we have time for... Oh, boy. Okay. Mm-hmm. How many? Uh, one more question. Okay, one more question. I think um, someone in the back... might kind of go yeah <laughs> yeah right and thank you to all the men for coming tonight <laughs> surprised there's only three guys here I was like
talked about uh, answering your question made me think of um, a good friend of mine who I used to be with, and she's older. She's very frustrated because lots of times married and she's not. She wants to And she's been doing like so many good things and like being open and have a positive mentality, all awesome things. And but it just. Uh, I, I've even tried to like set her up a few times, but mm -hmm. it uh, doesn't. It's just not happening. And I wonder if it, um, at some point, it comes basically down to a choice hmm. where you. Um, uh, hmm. I'm getting all nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, will she settle? Is she not yes. settling? And I was, you know, yes. And listening to y'all talk about y'all's relationships with your husbands made me think like, well, no. Um, that's a very good question because um, it, what has been sad to, to see, what's sad for me to see is when I um, see women who are in their late 30s, early 40s, who feel that life hasn't turned out the way that they would like to have turned out, and they get very bitter. Um, and that's very sad for me to see because... Um, and I also see that some of those women, um, their faith is not as strong as you know, I would hope them to have for them. Um, and I also think that's a difference, too. Um, so the question of settling is always interesting to me because um, our choices and, and what we think um, Again, going back to the point about that perfect spouse, um, you know, there's only one perfect person, right, um, that I know of. Maybe you guys know someone different, but, um, and it's, you know, again, it's about um, how you feel inside, what will make you happy, and, you know, knowing that no one is perfect, and we're not perfect, your potential spouse is not perfect, and we need to find someone that we um, can visualize spending the next 40 or 50 years with. And that's taking in all of these different things. Um, and I, you know, I just think that when we have this image of, of you know, a potential spouse, I honestly think that sometimes um, people develop what I call unrealistic expectations. I totally agree. And... Um, you know, we just we just need to take people as they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds a bit trite, but you have to take people as they are and grow with them and know that, you know, this person, you're going to have struggles. You're going to have trials and tribulations, but that's what life is about, and that's what a relationship and a marriage can develop. But I, the final point I just want to make is, I think that sometimes we have unrealistic expectations for what we think a spouse should be, what we would expect, and um, uh, it
Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> drastic, but yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yay. I agree. Wonderful. Wonderful story. Yeah. Yes, it does. I I know tons of people. There's this false pressure. I think in this day and age, I would actually discourage someone from assuming that someone they meet as a sophomore in college is the right person to get married to. I've known a few young relationships that have worked. But I've known far more mm-hmm. that haven't because you're not done growing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just not. You're not done becoming who you are as an adult person. And I, I know quite a few women in your circumstance. But I'll tell you what. It's interesting you went to Afghanistan because a lot of them got the heck out of Dodge. They left Washington and went to other places, which I thought was interesting because, unfortunately, Washington is is not hospitable to looking at people for who they are absolutely you know i think people very easily are looking for the most important mm-hmm. thinnest most blonde most this you know and and yeah and, and that's it's an unreal that's the world. unrealistic expectations <laughs> so so in terms of settling i hate that term because then people feel like they're falling short what i see is better is you know if you're getting if you're in your 30s somewhere maybe your 40s and you feel like okay i i really feel like god has called me to the married life then say okay am i working at building friendships am i looking for someone with whom i could build a good family life or am i waiting for the earthquake and the lightning and the fireworks and maybe you're not going to get that and my brother married late in life and and i um later in life he's not that old he was about 40 41 um but a priest told him Remember, your relationships are going to be different than when they when you were mm-hmm. dating at 23. You're an adult with a history. You know, it was a good history. It wasn't bad history, but it was a history. He was, and he was far more set in his ways. So the priest was saying, when you're looking for someone, don't look for that ideal fit that we're going to meld and be this perfect, you know, easy thing. It's probably going to be tougher, but respect that person. You know, you, I think in some ways it can be an advantage because instead of just assuming like I did when I got married, even though I swore I was not doing this, I really did think I was going to change my husband's habits <laughs> to more approximate my virtues, you know, and, and I would have sworn up and down I wasn't doing that. But I really, I really thought that I could see what he needed to change and I was going to help him change those things. I think if you're later in life and you're more mature and you realize, okay, you know, it's okay if she likes country and... <laughs> I like jazz. That's okay. You can still have a great marriage. You know, we, we stop focusing on the superficial things and, and look for the things that make for a good relationship. Is this someone generous? Is this someone who's kind? Right? Mm-hmm. And it's funny because most women, if you ask in, in polls, they've found women value kindness most right. of all. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the key thing. It's not, you know, the studly look and the... Whatever. Off the cover of GQ. No, how about kind? But, but it's, it's a the nice world person. that tells us we've got to have everything. <laughs> Love it. I think we're out of time. Is that right? So thank you all for being here. Thank you to our three gentlemen who came. Thank you to our panelists. Thank you. Thank you.